Awesome. Rest of you, grab your message notes. Continuing our series, we're talking about God is. Getting to know the real God. Now, one of the disclaimers for this series is that if you've been in church for a while and you've been around, you've been reading the Bible, things like that, uh, probably you're not going to learn a lot of new information. If you're new here and you haven't been around church, uh, a lot of this is going to be new to you. Uh, congratulations. This is going to be a, hopefully a good new eye-opening ex experience for you. But what we're trying to do is help us to realize that not only is God this amazing, awesome God, the creator of the universe, the God who's always there with us, but he, he's a very personal God. A God that, that has, has real meaning to our real everyday lives. So we've looked at the fact that God is real. I mean, he is real, <laughs> you know? He's not just a myth. He's not just a, 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 a being or a force. God is a real personal God. Last week, we talked about the fact that God is good. How often is God good? God is always good. In spite of what we're going through, God is still God and he is still good. And we understand that not only is he awesome, but the really cool part is that God is with us as well, right? God is wherever we are. We heard that this morning already. And, but sometimes the fact that we know in our minds that God is with us, sometimes it doesn't always make it to the to the heart level, or sometimes it, it has lapsing moments where we're like, you know, I, I, need, I need more right now than just knowing that God's with me. Because we live in a time where sometimes we feel like everything in the world is against us. And we feel like we're just sort of out there on our own, and we're wondering things like, does anybody understand me? <laughs> Does anybody get me? Am I out here all by myself? And the thing is, we, most of us have a lot of friends, right? <laughs> but oftentimes we really don't have anybody to talk to that's on our side. And we wonder that sometimes. It's like, you know, we talk about being lonely and sometimes lonely, we, we sort of put that with, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm by myself, there's nobody around me. But for many of us, lonely goes to a level of, of we, we feel emotionally lonely, maybe relationally lonely, maybe spiritually, where we feel like we're at a place where nobody around us is. We're like by ourselves, and we wonder, is anyone on my side? Does anybody really get me and they're with me in this? Well, I'd like you to write this in your notes because here's what we're going to talk about today. We need to know that when the world is against me, God is for me. God is for me. Sounds very elementary, very basic. And it is. <laughs> but today we're going to talk about the power of a God who's not only with me, he's for me. He's not only by my side, he is on my side. He's not just fighting with me, he is fighting for me. 
My God is for me. So what does that mean? What, what, what are some of the implications of a God for me in, in this world today? So we're going to dive right in. Okay, point number one is this. Is because God is for me, I will not be afraid. Okay, I will not be afraid. It's not just I don't need to be afraid. I will not. Did you know that fear or the lack of fear is a choice you make? You make a choice of being fearful or being not fearful. And, and when, when you know that God is on your side and that God is for you, then you can make a very deliberate, intentional decision that says, since God's for me, I'm not going to be afraid. I choose to not be afraid. You know, because we'd like to think, well, I'm not afraid of anyone. I don't, I'm not afraid of what you think. I'm not afraid of what you say. Yet, deep down, we really do care. <laughs> we're, we're just sort of wired that way. We, we care what people think about us. We care what people say about us. Because we want to be accepted, don't we? We don't like to be out there on an island where nobody likes us and everybody hates us and everybody's talking bad about us. We, we don't like that. You, can, you know, you can tough it out only so long. But we, and what happens is if we're not careful, we fall into this trap of living our lives, making decisions to please other people. Because we have such a desire to be liked. We have such a desire for people to be on our side, to be with us and to be for us, that all, all of a sudden, everything we do is to please others so that they will side with us. And if we're not careful, it's easy for us to compromise what we really believe and what even our own convictions for the sake of wanting people to accept us for who we are. And sometimes we do things. We're going, you know what? I just, I don't want to do this. I don't believe this is the right thing to do. But I don't want to be by myself. I don't want to be the only one. I want, I, I don't want people. The Lord is for me. So I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Then it says, yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look in triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. And I would add on there that trust in things. You know, sometimes we'd like to think, we might even say sometimes things like, well, God is enough. <laughs> God is all I need. He's enough. And my question is, is he really? If everything in your life right now, I mean everything, was taken away from you, would you be okay with that if all you had left was, was God? If all your money was taken away? If your health was taken away, if your family was taken away, I mean, just literally, everything you find yourself, just you and God. All these things that you were dependent on, they're just gone. Is God enough? 
Or are there things that you say, well, I'm not depending on these things. I haven't sold out on these things. But boy, the moment it looks like they're going away, (laughs) you freak out. Is God really enough? Are you afraid of losing other things that you've been depending on? Even things that are good. You know, your money, your job, you know, all, all the things that you depend on in life. If all of a sudden they just were just gone. Would God really be enough for you? Knowing that God is for me means that I don't need all these other things, as good as they might be. (laughs) I don't need all these other things for my safety, security, and for my refuge and my hope. uh, Isaiah 12, 2 says it like this. See, God has come to save me. I will put my trust in him and not be afraid. The Lord God is my strength in my song. He has given me victory. All of the things you're struggling with in life, all the things you're dealing with, God has given, because he is for you, he has given you victory over all these things. So that's number one. I will not be afraid. Number two is because God is for me, he is not mad at me. Okay, this seems elementary for most of us, but sometimes we fall into this trap. See, there's two extremes to, to our feeling about God and how he feels about me. You have one extreme that says, well, God loves me. And God loves everybody, and God wants me to be happy. Therefore, I'm pretty sure that since God wants me to be happy, he will be okay with anything I want to do that makes me happy. Okay, we have that extreme. It's a real one for a lot of people. And then we have the extreme where people, uh, they live in fear of God. Not in, the Bible talks about having a fear of the Lord. That's more of a reverent, holy honoring kind of fear we the fear of the lord is our strength and our hope in the beginning of all wisdom we honor god we're reverent but it's not an afraid kind of fear and so many of us we we walk on eggshells we live on eggshells in life thinking that if i make one mistake if i step out of line one misstep then the hammer's gonna come down god's gonna get mad at me and there's no turning back And we feel sometimes like living for God and pleasing God is like this impossible thing to do. And we're we're constantly thinking, I have to do it just right. That's the thing about legalism versus grace. (laughs) You know what grace says? Grace says you give it your best shot, God will cover the rest. God's got it. Legalism says, I need to do everything by the book just right, or he will be mad at me. But here's the thing. The other part is, is that we're, we're afraid sometimes that we've, we've done, what would you say? That we've done too much bad in our lives. 
We look back over our lives and we have this list. We have this list of all the bad things we've done, a mental list, right? And we're thinking, and some of them are really bad. And they're at the top three or four. And we're going, you know, I did this, and I did that, I experienced this, I said this, I said that. And, and we're going down this list and we're thinking, surely God couldn't accept me because look at my list. And in our mind, we're thinking, I've gone past the point of no return. I know God's a loving, caring God, but man, I'm pretty sure he won't put up with this. And so what we've done is we pretty much distance ourselves from any possibility that God could accept me and forgive me for the things that I've done. I just want to say in all loving grace and kindness, you're wrong. <laughs> You are just wrong. Here's what it says in, in uh, Romans 5.9. It says, so through Christ we will surely be saved from God's anger because we have been made right with God by the blood of Christ's death. God's not angry with you anymore. God's not disappointed in you. And, and with, along with all the amazing things that Jesus has done for us, he also saved us from his anger. You do not ever have to think that God is mad at you, that, that you've gone past the point of no return. If you're breathing, you're still, it's still a possibility. God's just waiting. How did he do all this? Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14 says this. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave most of your sins. What does it say? All. Does that include the top three of your really bad list? It does. It includes the whole list, everything. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. I remember years ago uh, when I was a camp counselor for uh, up at, some of you are familiar with Lakewood Retreat. One of the first years I was up there, I was a counselor, and it was teen, the, the teen week. And e each evening, we'd have a chapel service, and this one night was just very powerful, and the invitation was given for these young people to make a decision to accept Christ. And it was just awesome, but I could tell this one 15-year-old this one girl was just having a really tough time. I mean, she was crying during the service. And then sort of hurried out. And on the way back to all the cabins, I caught up with her. And we sat down on a tree stump there by the road. I said, what, what, what's going on? And she said, you know what? I would love to accept Christ. But you don't know what I've done. There's no way God could still love me and forgive me because of what, what I've done. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you're only 15. <laughs> How bad could it be, right? But when I explained everything I'm talking to you about right here, it was like the light came on and she made a decision on that tree stump right there to accept Jesus as her Savior. And some of us, that's how we feel. I've done too much bad. I've been too bad. If God only knew, well, newsflash, <laughs> he sort of knows. He sort of knows everything. And he still says, I accept you. 
I forgive you because of what Jesus Christ has done. So God, God took all of the guilt, all of the disappointment, all the anger, all the condemnation that you think he has towards you, and he put it on Jesus Christ when Christ hung on the cross. And the moment that Christ died, all of that did too. <laughs> it's gone. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's taken it away. So God is for you. That means nothing can be against you. Amen? Amen. Number three, third thing. Because God is for me, I am secure. I am secure. I am safe. I, I'm good. I'm good with God. You know, in today's world, I mean, every day you wake up. <laughs> Every day we live our lives, you just, you just never know what's next. Whether it's people or institutions or the acceptable behavior of our culture or, or even our own beliefs and convictions, it, it's regularly being challenged and even being changed right before our eyes to the point where if you're like me, there's been many times over the last couple years I'm going, is there anything we can still count on in life? I mean, these things used to be like sacred things or you just didn't do these or you did these and all of a sudden everything's gone and it feels like the entire foundation of our lives has just been ripped away. It's like, what can I count on? <laughs> I, there's nothing secure, there's nothing stable in this world anymore. And with all these forces against me, it's like, is there anybody for me? Well, there's a passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read all nine verses, 31 to 39. And for many of you, there's going to be a lot of things that are really familiar. Some of you have read the whole thing in one, one setting. That's cool. Uh, but I think it is so powerful for what we're talking about today. And here's what it says. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? It's talking of sort of summarizing uh, all the verses that were right before it where God's talking about all the really good things that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are doing on our behalf. And he says, if God is for us, who can be against us, ever be against us? And since he did not spare even his own son but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? That's a really good question. God already saved us. He's got a lot more to give us. And who dares accuse us when God has chosen us for his own? The answer is no one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? The answer is no one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. That's what Jesus is doing right now. He is for us in many different ways. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Then verse 36, it says, going back to an Old Testament verse, it says, as the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day, we are being slaughtered like sheep. And then in verse 37, the answer to all these things he was talking about is no. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves and loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither life nor death, 
angels or demons, neither our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above, the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation which covers everything will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. That means right now, every one of you here this morning, I don't care what your standing is with God, whether you're wholeheartedly believing in Him, you're, 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 you're thinking about it, or you're even pushing God away right now. It doesn't matter. God loves you this very moment as much as He ever has and ever will. He can never love you any less. And he won't. Nothing will separate you from God's amazing, wonderful, awesome love. You're that secure in his love. So when I commit myself to God as my father, I am completely secure in his love and in his presence. Nothing, absolutely nothing can separate me. Even stuff you do, even the things you do, will not separate you from God's love. Hallelujah. Then number four, God is for me. Here's the reason that God is for me, is because I am his child. I am a child of God. You know, God is not just my God, but he's also my father, and I'm part of his forever family. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, now this is one of the verses that's before the, the long stretch we just read, and uh, it's talking about some of the wonderful things. And it says this, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit, that'd be the Holy Spirit, when he adopted you. When did he adopt you? When you said yes to him. As his own children, now we call him Abba, Father. That word Abba is an Aramaic term used back in the old times. Even, even Hebrew people use it today. And Jesus used it. Paul used it several times. It simply me, it's one of the most intimate terms you can use for a father. It means my dearest daddy, <laughs> my amazing father. That's what we call our heavenly father, Abba father because he adopted us you know some of you here this morning you have been adopted into a family somebody a family somewhere along the line decided they wanted you to be a part of their family so you've been adopted some of you parents here some of you families here you have adopted a child into your family and you understand how powerful it is when, when someone says I choose you to be a part of this family. And they do it out of the love and the power and the compassion of their heart. And they say, I want you. That's why, that's why it's so powerful when God says, he, God doesn't just settle for us to be in his family. He's like, okay, come on in. <laughs> you did what you needed to, so hey, join us. God hand-picked every one of you. Did you know that? 
even this morning. Maybe you haven't even responded to that yet, but he's handpicked every one of you. You are that special. You are that thought about. You are, you are, God's thoughts for you are that powerful that he says, I want you to be in my family. I want you to be in my forever family. It's not just for a little while. This family that God is putting together is for eternity, like forever. <laughs> and he wants you to be a part of that. Here's what Jesus says in, in Matthew 7. He says, you parents, if your children ask you for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask you for a fish, do you give them a snake? Well, of course not. So if you sinful people, that, that would be all of us at some point, right? If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? So not only does God choose you, he handpicks you to be a part of his family, but he also has nothing but the best. He wants to give you. God doesn't settle for anything less than the best, both in picking you, but also in taking care of you, which goes to our next one, number five. Point number five says this. Because God is for me, he knows what's best for me. He knows what's best for me. See, here's the thing. God created you, and he designed you. And, and here's, here's the really neat part, and some of you already know this. God knows you better than you know yourself. God knows your, your situation better than you know yourself. If you're having a struggle right now in life, whether it's whatever it is, you name it, you just know you're facing something that's very stressful. God knows the situation better than you do. That's why sometimes when, when you come to God in prayer and you say, God, I'm, I'm having this really difficult time. God, I need your help. And, and in your mind as you're praying, and sometimes you even verbalize it, you say, God, if you could just. And then you sort of lay out your plan for his answer, right? If you could just do this, God, that would be amazing. And in your mind, it's a real stretch. I think he could probably do this, but he doesn't. <laughs> he does something else. And at first you're a little disappointed, but pretty soon you realize that, oh, <laughs> that was so much better than what I was planning. God knows it better than you do. He knows you better than you do. He, matter of fact, the Bible tells us that he even knows your thoughts. He, they use the word afar off. God knows what's going to be in your mind, what you're thinking about, what you're feeling before you even think it or feel it for yourself. That's just God. That's what he does. That's why God can be so for you and, and give you such good things because he designed you and he knows what's best for you. 
And then he will lead you and guide you towards those things, those really good things he has planned for you. In Isaiah 48, 17, it says this. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is good for you and leads you along the paths you should follow. Where will those paths lead you? To the things that are good for you, that he has planned even a long time ago for you to experience. So what happens is, God puts his spirit inside each one of us. It's his Holy Spirit. And one of the things the Holy Spirit does, along with many, many things, is that he, he, he teaches you the truth about God, but he also leads you, he guides you, so that you make decisions that will lead you and put you in the place that God wants you to be to experience the very best that he has for you. See, God's for you. He's not against you. When, when you have this, this nudge or this urge or you, you hear this still small voice or you read a verse in the Bible and you think, hmm, maybe I should do that. <laughs> That's God. That's the Holy Spirit leading you, speaking to you, guiding you, moving you. And in your mind you're thinking, boy, I don't know, this looks tough. I don't know, this looks impossible. Is, can I actually do this? Will this work out for me? Just know this, because God is for you, he has the very, very best in mind for you. Don't ever doubt that. It may not feel like the best at the moment. It may look confusing at the moment. It may look like, God, do you have a clue what you're doing at the moment? <laughs> and God says, yeah, just open your heart. Open your hands and trust me. Just trust me. Remember, I'm for you. I'm not against you. So anything I lead you toward, anything I guide you toward, anything I speak to you, you can trust that it will work out for the best, your best, if you follow me. Number six. Last one, I love this one because God is for me. I have hope. I have hope. I have hope for today. I have hope for the future. You know, when you think about the Bible, this book right here, there's many, uh, you've prob many of you probably heard many descriptions that this is God's love story, that this is God's story. It's, you know, you, it's a history book. It's his story book to us kind of thing but you know a lot of another way to describe it is this is God's book of hope for all of us I mean part of the book I mean the whole book the whole Bible if you've read it hopefully you have if not now's a good time to get started the whole Bible points to Jesus Christ part of the Bible points to Jesus coming and on this earth 2,000 years ago when he first showed up in human form, he came to this earth, he lived, he died, he rose again, he forgave us, he set us free from our sin. All these different things that he did at that moment when he came first. That was the hope of our salvation. But it doesn't stop there. Now that we have experienced the hope of his salvation, 
we now have a book that leads us to the hope of our eternity. There is so much in the Bible that talks about what happens and what we can experience when we move from this life onto the next. Jesus came to give us hope for today, but he's coming again to give us hope for the future. Just lots of hope, folks. <laughs> lots of hope. That's why we can say that God is so for us. Everything he's done. Matter of fact, even when he created you, even from the beginning of creation, he created people so that he could love them, they could love him back, and they could spend eternity with him. God wanted a forever family from the very beginning. The Bible also talks about the fact that we do face some difficulty. There are, some, are nothing compared to the hope of glory that we have for eternity and in heaven. So hang in there, folks. Hang in there. Get to know the God who loves you. Get to know the God who is on your side, who is for you. And when you do that, just know that we get to spend, we have a hope of eternity, we get to spend that time in our eternity with him forever. Forever and ever, which is a really long time. There's no end. I love what it says in Hebrews chapter 6. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor, anchor for our souls. Folks, you can build your lives on the fact that God is for you. <laughs> he is for you. Everything he does is for you. He won't disappoint you. Sometimes we're disappointed at what we think God is doing. But if you hang in there, that disappointment will soon turn into joy and amazement of realizing how good God is. God is real. God is good. God is for us. And his invitation is there all the time. He says, you draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. feel that anymore. Not quite sure what's going on, but it feels like God is sort of way out there. <laughs> God says, it's time to come back. <laughs> it's time to draw near to me again, and then you will see and experience me for who I really am. I'm for you. I'm on your side. The invitation is for us. Maybe you've never said yes to God. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you're like, I I've been too bad. <laughs> I, I've, I know I've done some really bad things in my life and the idea that God could forgive me, I still can't quite wrap my mind around it. Join the club. I can't either. <laughs>
but I have to base it on the truth of his word. He forgives me no matter what, and he will keep doing that. You keep turning to him, and he will continue to forgive you and to, and to put it as far as... He says, I will take your sins and put them as far as the east is from the west. And if you ever tried to figure that one out, there's no end. There's no starting and ending point from east to west. You're always going that direction. <laughs> That's how far he's taken your sin from you if you come to him and confess him and give him all to him. So one verse I want to finish with, Isaiah chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Sort of brings it all together. It's like a summary of everything we've talked about today. And it says this, In that day you will sing. I will praise you, O Lord. You were angry with me, but not anymore. Now you comfort me. See, God has come to save me. I will trust in him, and I'll not be afraid. The Lord God is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. And folks, that is what God wants to give every one of us today, victory. Whatever it is you're fighting, whatever it is you're struggling with, whatever battle is going on in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, in your life, God says, just come. <laughs> come to me. I'll fight this battle for you if you let me. I am so for you, I will fight your battles. Just trust me. Let's stand together. <laughs>